All right, welcome to Political as Heck. It's a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What is up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Hey. So our first little topic, you are the man to answer this question for us all. By now, most of us received our 2022 election ballot. Many of us have already filled it out, turned it in. But whether you've completed voting or not, I think all of us noticed a proposed constitutional amendment that we needed to vote on, yay or nay. Todd, what's it all about? Well, up until about four years ago, the Utah legislature could only meet in special session when the governor convened one. When Jason Chaffetz resigned from Congress, there was we, we discovered that there was no state statute on how to conduct a midterm congressional uh, vacancy uh, election for, to fill a vacancy. And so the legislature kind of begged Governor Herbert to call us, ourselves, us into special session to kind of uh, create a law for that process. The governor essentially said, well, I'll do it if you promise that you'll do it my way. And the legislature said, we're not going to make any promises. So the governor refused to call us into special session. And then he just basically passed an executive order that was a pretty reasonable approach, but it kind of enshrined the the signature path when there would have probably been some debate about that had it gone to the legislature. Well, as a result of that, uh, that's when John Curtis beat um, uh, Tanner Ainge and um, Chris Herod in a three-way uh, August or you know, primary. Um, but in response to that, the legislature put on the ballot about four years ago a constitutional amendment to allow the legislature to call itself in a special session. And surprisingly, that passed and it passed overwhelmingly, um, which was actually a pretty big over ex- expansion of the legislative power. But it only applies in emergencies and crises and things like that. And little did we know back then that we were headed into COVID. And so w- when the legislature put that on the ballot four years ago, they said, we're going to limit ourselves to either cutting the budget by 1%, or increasing the budget by 1%, um, which, you know, 1% of a $23 billion budget is a lot of money. Well, during COVID, it became obvious when the federal government was sending us billions of dollars that the 1% threshold was low. And so if you vote for Amendment A, you're giving the legislature a little bit more flexibility. Some people have freaked out and said, oh, don't do that. We can't trust the legislature. I'm a little bit ambivalent, Corey, because right now, if the legislature wanted to spend 5%, it could call itself in a special session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and Friday, and we could do 1% each day, right? And so this is not that big of a change. It does give some flexibility. It does give some efficiency. Um, if it fails, to me, it's no big deal. If it passes, then it's just another tool in the toolbox. Got it. So just to clarify, if the amendment were to pass, I mean, does it short circuit any legislative process? In other words, Legislature still has to pass it, right? Still needs to vote on it. Yeah, governor and the governor still needs can, to sign it. The governor can still veto it. Governor um, can still veto it. Yeah. yeah, and so remember that the legislature holds the purse strings already. So this would be kind of like if you if you if you got a bonus at work, uh, but you could only spend that money between January and March, and if you didn't spend it by March, you had to wait till the next January. That's what we're dealing with here. It's kind of it's 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 kind of silly. Now, remember, if the governor calls us into special session, then the one percent, the five percent doesn't apply. This is only if the legislature calls ah, in the special session. I see. I see.
All right, so this week, billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk closed his deal to buy social media outlet Twitter for $44 billion. On Thursday, Musk tweeted, the bird is free, which a lot of people enjoyed and others didn't. Uh, he immediately fired the top executives of the company of Twitter. Any number of progressive tweeters have declared their intent to leave the platform, including like a, a number in Utah. All kinds of threats about how mo this moderate Elon Musk, Elon Musk, who's promised to eliminate the bias on the platform is his great crime and uh, allow all voices to be heard for the first time. Um, I think there's all kinds of fear mongering right now about how he's, heart he's Darth Vader come to destroy the galaxy. And I think the hysteria has reached a fever pitch. It's worth giving some folks, giving folks some uh, background on Twitter in case they don't use it or know much about it. Pew Research Center has found that Twitter users are almost twice as likely to be Democrats or Democrat-leaning than Republican or Republican-leaning. It's like 60-plus percent are Democrats. I think here in Utah, that number is close to 10 to 1. You know, it's probably, you know, 95% Democrat. Uh, honestly, I'm amazed at how overrun Utah Twitter is by, by radical progressives who, you know, really only make up, honestly, a tiny slice of the actual Utah electorate electorate but it's been a real eye-opener to me over these past few years just to see the twitter demographics overwhelming majority obviously are not on twitter um, even fewer utahns post regularly on twitter and the ones who do post are todd and then uh, a large cabal of radically left-wing you know, <laughs> progressives so that's a noteworthy data point um, where twitter does have a outsized influences with the mainstream quote-unquote mainstream press uh it really is the the veritable echo chamber for the major outlet reporters especially in dc and new york um, basically it's the primary way for them to coordinate and uh and basically speak to one another that said there is some great content on twitter and i'll be the first to admit that i spend way too much time on it because there's good stuff you know where to find it i love it for example for tiktok political happenings it's very good it's also great for live uh, sports conversation, although it's been a real bummer with uh, BYU this year. Uh, it's useful for those of us on the wrong side of the media narrative to know what, you know, what they're doing and what they're, what they're up to. And I think that's particularly true in Utah because the progressive vanguard at that trib spend all day scouring the corners of the internet, uh, as we all know, to find something, anything that's supposedly like conservative weirdos are doing. And um, it's amazing the, the, the size of the hallelujah chorus coming out of Salt Lake City, I guess. But anyway, we're told that now that Elon Musk is in charge, the rate of white supremacy and racism is going through the roof and it already has exploded. I don't see that. I mean, maybe it's true, you know, in the cobwebs in the corner, furthest corners. But what I've seen, Todd, is a bunch of moderate voices who are finally allowed to say obvious things like, I don't know, that COVID probably originated in a Chinese lab, that men and, and former men should not be allowed to dominate girls' sports, that school closures were a horrifically failed policy that damaged children's learning, and uh, there's really no evidence that it improved public health to any measurable degree. So that's what I see out there. A lot of common sense comments finally emerging because they're no longer censored or throttled after three years. I mean, I think the left obviously is losing their minds over Elon Musk, but because, I mean, honestly, he's just 
promised to allow free speech instead of ensuring the narrative is upheld. But Todd, what's your thoughts on it? Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, I've got 8,257 followers. I just had to check on Twitter, which for you <laughs> politics isn't bad. I mean, you know, Spencer Cox and Deidre Henderson have more followers than I do. And most legislators have less than I do, but I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I've been there now for a decade and I tweet more than most of the rest of the legislators combined, unfortunately for me. But I will say this, if I tweet something that is conservative, supporting the Second Amendment, anything conservative, I will get I will get at least 30 negative um, tweets at me, calling me whatever, and uh, I'll get ratioed every time. If I tweet something that's even a tinge moderate, I'll get 600 to 900 likes. And I'm looking at the last thing that I tweeted that was somewhat moderate and over 900 likes, you know. And if I tweet something really a good conservative zinger, I'll be lucky if I get 30 likes. And so, I mean, so I'm just, I mean, that's my, that's anecdotal. That's my personal experience, but um, I'm amazed. Um, So a lot of, I think liberals in Utah like to follow me because they can strike at, they can, they can, they can, you know, I'm like a punching bag and I don't mind it. I have a pretty thick skin and I think it's kind of fun. Um, But what I want to tell you is I'm amazed as I travel around and I meet people how many people know who I am? Uh, you're like, oh, you're GOP Todd, which is my Twitter handle. And then they'll say, I love following you on Twitter. Keep it up. Now, they never like they never like anything yeah. I'm saying. They never comment on anything I'm saying because they, you know, maybe they're a state employee or whatever, and they don't want to get in trouble. Uh, but I have the, kind of what I would call a, a closet <laughs> fan fan base where if you if you looked at my most of my tweets, you'll see I'm being ratioed which means more people are commenting than they are liking it, uh, which is uh, supposedly a bad thing. If I've said something that I that I think is true, I don't care if I get ratioed. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a lightning rod and I'm a little bit of a troll. I like to troll the limbs a little bit. I'm not mean spirited. Um, usually I I have a tongue in my cheek, you know, my tongue's in my cheek or I've got a wry smile. But Twitter's kind of a um, entertainment out. Uh, uh, outlet for me but i will agree with you it's been completely well before real quick before you change the subject yeah uh i can confirm because i get people saying that to me all the time especially if they know that the two of us do this show together they'll say to me like i i barely get on twitter but i love seeing todd (laughs) troll the left i just love it so much so you do have you do have closet quiet you know the yeah well and i know people like um in dc that work for our congressional delegation they all they all follow me on twitter and they don't say anything but anyway so i i I, you know twitter is kind of fun for me um i will say uh i i think elon stepped in a a little bit this weekend and he may still be borne out but this morning you know of course nancy pelosi's husband paul who was arrested over the summer for dui uh he was attacked uh by an intruder with a hammer um, early, early Friday morning, like 2.30 a.m. in San Francisco, I came out immediately and said, this is horrendous. You know, we, we need to do better. Um, some Republicans have used this to to kind of troll the Democrats on, you know, crime and things like that, which, you know, I, I don't know, an 82-year-old man attacked with a hammer doesn't sound good. So, um, I, you know, I wouldn't use I wouldn't use that for politics personally, but, uh, you know, not everybody has the same discretion that I do. Um, but Elon this morning um, responded to a tweet from Hillary Clinton 
Um, you know, and so the need, the media narrative, the knee jerk narrative is this guy that attacked Paul that it, one, he was looking for Nancy. Well, maybe he was, I don't know yet. I'm going to wait for some more facts to come out. And number two, that he um, was like a Mike Lindell zealot, a far right zealot, and had somehow been inspired to do this attack by the by the radical extremist far right. Well, as we're, we're as we're learning more about this guy, uh, he's 42 years old. I'm not going to use his name because I'm not going to publicize him for being a criminal. But um, we we know he's a a, a nudist advocate activist. We know he's uh, he's had some extreme right sounding stuff on his blog, but we don't know for sure if he posted it. But if you go back 10 years, there's extreme left stuff. He was living in a school bus in front of somebody with all kinds of Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, LGBT rainbows in their house. And um, he's mentally ill. His ex-wife says he sexually molested his own kids. And so, but anyways, Elon replied to Hillary Clinton and said, well, uh, this guy that, you know, that, that attacked him, that he was uh, a gay prostitute and that Paul um, Nancy Pelosi's husband was was drunk again. And he has now since deleted that tweet. So I, I don't know. But I would say I think that there's there's a lot that we don't know about this story. But if it was, in fact, that he just came to this home as a stranger looking for Nancy Pelosi and he attacked her husband, that is horrendous. But I'm going to just pop some popcorn and wait to see as more facts come out, because I'm not sure that we know all of the di- dynamics yet on this story. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I want to say categorically, same as you, like attacking somebody's family member or any member of Congress horrible. is completely horrible and wrong, and we don't condone it in any way, shape, or form. This guy obviously is mentally ill and a drug addict, and there's also reports that, like you said, he was living in a bus, living in an open-air drug scene in uh, in San Francisco. Maybe he was radically right, or maybe he's just straight up mentally ill, and it also sounds like there was a third person there, and that's, that all you know is strange, too. So I guess we'll be on our on pins and needles, finding out what happens. So this past week, Pennsylvania Senate Senate candidates held their one and only debate. Republican Mehmet Oz is running to become the first Muslim to serve in the U.S. Senate. Most people know him as Dr. Oz from his daytime television talk show. He's running against Democrat John Fetterman, who's currently serving as lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. This race is noteworthy for uh, a few reasons. I mean, foremost, obviously, it's a toss-up race in a closely divided Senate. Whoever wins here will give their party a leg up in the contest to control the U.S. Senate. Seat is currently held by retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey, one of the all-time greats. I'm a huge fan. Very sad that he's retiring. Democrats see this race, though, as a pickup opportunity for them. And Republicans, obviously, are trying to play defense to retain a seat. It's also noteworthy because Democrat Fetterman... He had a stroke back in June, just before the primary. In May, before the primary. Oh, in May. Okay. And his campaign tried to hide this fact from voters and the media. And then over the last several months, he's tried to hide the extent of the effects of of his stroke. So he's done very little campaigning. Instead, his wife has taken the lead, acting as the surrogate and I mean, acting as the candidate, really. So he finally did an interview with NBC News a couple weeks ago, and the effects of his stroke were pretty evident for anyone who watched. He had uh, he he's having trouble listening and speaking. The NBC reporter, we talked about this last time, she shared that Fetterman struggled to engage in small talk before the interview. She was immediately and completely savaged 
by her left-wing peers in her own uh, office, as well as, you know, throughout the media. She was attacked and belittled. It really is sickening. But it's clearly because she didn't stay on script. In other words, she didn't cover for Fetterman and his, uh, his obvious extensive disabilities. But the situation came to a head this week when Fetterman debated. He had to stand before the voters uh, and the TV cameras to debate Dr. Oz. And suffice to say, Fetterman clearly demonstrated some severe effects from the stroke. You know, sadly, honestly, I, I, I mean that. Sadly, he could hardly string a sentence together. Um, he remind, it reminds me of family members that have had strokes, and it's, it's very sad. He was clearly struggling. It was very difficult to watch. Uh, they allowed him to use this teleprompter to read the moderator's questions and Dr. Oz's answers, but I'm not sure how, how much it really helped. Because, I mean, his performance really did reveal the extent of his disabilities. So, Todd, I don't know how you perform the duties of a U.S. senator if you can't speak and converse and process information, because that's basically the entire job. But what do you think of the debate in this situation? Well, I, you know, <clears throat> I think the most interesting, anything, anybody that watched the debate saw what you described. It, it was hard to watch. Um, Fetterman, you know, he had a few good moments. He had a lot of mediocre moments and some just painful. The, the the very worst, I think, was near the end of the debate when the moderator pointed out that just in 2018, he came out and said that he doesn't support fracking. He's always been anti-fracking. And now he's pro-fracking. And she asked him to explain the discrepancy. And he he couldn't. Um, and he started and stopped about three times on different sentences and basically said, you know, I support fracking, I support fracking, I support fracking. What's amazing to me is any anyone, including um, Ronald McDaniels, the, the head of the RNC, anyone who attacks Fetterman um, uh, is now uh, somehow a horrible person because he had a stroke and we should all rally around him. But what's interesting to that is Republican Senator Mark Kirk had a stroke, um, you know, after shortly after he was elected to replace Barack Obama uh, in the U.S. Senate from Illinois. And Mark Kirk missed almost a year of work. He returned to Washington in a wheelchair and he he lost his reelection bid. I think it was in 2016 to to um, to Duckworth, Senator Duckworth. Um, but the media was not nearly as forgiving or nearly as empathetic when it was a Republican who had a stroke. And, and I just want to point out as well, I mean, as horrendous as is what happened to um, uh, Paul Pelosi this weekend, um, when a madman flew across the country to try to kill a conservative-leaning U.S. Supreme Court justice, the media quickly swept that story under under the rug. You know, when a when a black liberal man drove through a um, crowded Christmas. Um, you know, parade in Wisconsin, the media kind of, you know, swept that story under the rug until this week when he was last week was when he was defending himself and just made foolish mistake after foolish mistake that that story finally got some publicity. And unfortunately, he was convicted. But I, I just continue to be amazed, astounded and really disappointed with the with the, the diversity in coverage, whether we're talking about you know, something that fits this woke uh, narrative versus something that doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say real quick, I, so we have a family member who spent her career in auditory therapy. Much of that time, much of her career actually was specializing in stroke victims. So exactly what we're talking about here. And in her experience, most stroke victims, re, most of their recovery is going to occur in the first three to six months. 
And I've read that's that. Not to say that I've read that all over the internet this week. Yeah, and so that that yeah, that's so that tracks with what the evidence shows. And that's not to say that improvement can't occur later, but it's much slower. Um, the most pronounced improvement occurs in that first six months. So, in other words, like sadly, I mean, Fetterman has probably improved more as or less as much as he's going to improve. Now, I hope he. I personally hope that he does improves even further. You know that I'm rooting for him, but you know the case being what it is. Um, voters have a real decision to make because I think we can have charity for a stroke victim and, and understand that that's, that's a really tough challenge. And he, he has a lot of challenges yet to face while at the same time, recognizing that it's just, he's just not healthy enough for the job. And you use the example of Mark Kirk and Mark Kirk was an absolute firecracker. He was an absolute stud before his stroke. And afterwards, I mean, he, he was really pretty debilitated. Now I think he was more debilitated probably than Fetterman. I, I agree. I agree with but, that. But the case being like voters have a right. It's not ableist, this new word that we come up with. It's not it's, you're not a horrible person and, and you know, anti-disability to recognize that, you know, Tammy Duckworth doesn't have legs. You can do the job without legs. You know, um, you know, there, there, there are different uh, disabilities that can still work. This job is different. I mean, you really have to decide, like, are you mentally up to the job? Would we would we vote to, with, for someone with Alzheimer's? just because we don't want to be ableist. But enough about our president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just kidding. just kidding. That was a bad joke. Current Congressman Burgess Owens and Democrat challenger Darlene McDonald, they participated in a debate Friday evening. This comes after Congressman Owens, of course, we talked about, he objected to the moderator choice for the, the Utah Debate Commission debate. Um, Todd, what are your takeaways from the debate? Well, I didn't watch it live because I was watching BYU lose their fourth straight game, um, and I was in Provo Shameful. in the cold. Um, and I've I've read the Tribune, and I, the weirdest thing I've read is that although Burgess Owen said he was going to live stream it on his social media, that he didn't. Apparently, the Utah Democratic Party did, and Dar Darlene McDonald did, but they had less than three hundred viewers live, and I doubt that. A lot of people are going to go look that up, but um, but at least he debated. Um, there were some fireworks over CRT and, and a lot of other issues. You know, Darlene, I follow her on Twitter. She follows me. We've we've had some Twitter uh, spats. Um, I've met her in person. I actually I like her as a person. She's kind of fun to spar with. Um, uh, and let's be honest, she has um, no chance of winning this race. I mean, um, Burgess Owens is going to. Um, get reelected. And I think the other fun thing was that the Salt Lake Tribune did send a reporter to the debate and they were allowed in the room. But then when the reporter asked a question, Burgess Owens refused to answer it. But, you know, I kudos, hats off. He did. He did debate her. I think this is, um, I think in our 2022, you have to debate your Democratic opponent if you're a Republican incumbent. So he did that. But he did, in a way, he did it in a way that was A, after at least a third of the people who are going to vote had already voted and be in a way where you really, really, really had to want to watch it. And, yeah. and by the way, we talked earlier, all, all of the Utah Debate Commission uh, programs not only were live on uh, Internet, but they were all on TV and KSL radio. So this was not on TV, was not on KSL radio, and you would have had to go to a Democratic uh, Facebook page to watch it. So. Yeah, so I was one of the few that went looking for it, and it was hard to find. And I finally did find it, and the the quality was terrible. I mean, you could barely hear what they were saying. So that makes sense now that you described all that. So I'll just say I think Burgess Owens 
he's a talented speaker. He is. He has a compelling vision for Utah and, and the country, and I think he does a great job making the case. He does a great job making the case for why conservative, conservative policies will work. And I think he, you know, he knows who he is and he's, he's very comfortable in his skin. And I, I actually think he's a really good speaker, which, you know, is one of the reasons that I, I thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be good for him to debate and not, and not skip out. So I'm really glad that he ended up doing this. I think Dar- Darlene McDonald, I know nothing at all about her, never met her. I think she did better than I expected, to be honest. I, I think, she, you know, she obviously seemed extremely nervous, but then she, she you know, she said she's experienced uh, hearing loss. So I, you know, I think that's pretty cool. I say, you know, bravo to her for having the courage to get in front of people when I'm sure it's out of her comfort zone. She probably, I mean, I would say she probably has potential for getting more involved with state Democrats. I mean, she, she seemed like, uh, you know, a legitimate, um, you know, interested person interested in, uh, in public policy. Uh, but, you know, just candidly, she, her vision for America and for Utah, it's just a double down on the policies that brought us skyrocketing inflation. I think like all Democrats these days, she she's obsessed with identity politics and this new theology of gender and race and that's what she promoted and i i think she wants to fill our schools with uh indoctrination and nonsense and and so i i I think she's just wrong for utah in every way and i think that burgess owens made a great case for for uh, a better path so i'm glad they debated because i think they both performed well for themselves but i also think it it, uh it created a clear contrast um between uh for for a choice in in this election so absolutely all right we're out of time thanks Corey. we'll see you next week see you next week